This is the Black and Gold and Red Podcast. Welcome now, to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. My name is Jeff Sharon. Along with me, of course, as you heard, Eric Lopez. We got a full show for you today. Lots of intrigue. Lots of intrigue. We're going to talk about Pro Day at UCF, starting on, which is on Friday, at the Nicholson Fieldhouse. Who's going to get drafted? Who's not going to get drafted but get paid? Who's going to take another shot? Well, we'll have some Mackenzie Milton talk. Stat Boy Drew, Andrew Glukov is going to join us for that. Uh, a little bit later, we're going to talk about who's going to be UCF's next head coach. Of course, Coach Abe leaving for the University of Georgia, taking all of her assistants with her. It is a full rebuild for UCF women's basketball. We'll speculate recklessly as to who we think will be the next head coach for UCF. Uh, and then later on, uh, Bryson Turner will join us to talk a little baseball. Keyword there, soul-searching. Soul-searching from Greg Lovelady. Has UCF found their soul yet? I don't know. We'll find out. But uh, we begin with Pro Day, which will be uh, in the Fieldhouse and televised live. Eric Lopez and Andrew ESPN Lukoff Plus, baby. ESPN, look at that. ESPN Plus paying off again. Uh, UCF has nine. Is it nine guys? Yes, nine guys who will be working out for professional for the professional scouts. Um, among the guys from this past year's team, uh, Woody Barrett, running back. He was the former quarterback who only played, only got a cup of coffee in a couple games. Uh, Big Cat Bryant, who we all know and love. Nate Craig Myers, wide receiver. Kalia Davis. Uh, Noah Hancock, defensive tackle. Brandon Johnson, who had a great year last year. I love Brandon Johnson. Uh, and uh, Cole Schneider, along with uh, Marcus Tatum and Mackenzie Milton. Oh, by the way, um, also listed uh, on Twitter, I want to pull this up. Uh, Greg McRae is going to be there uh, as well, uh, strutting his stuff for the scouts as he tries to, as he aims for a job. Um, and because uh, I wanted to, I wanted to pull up the full list. Is, is that everybody, Drew? I think. Uh, I, I thought there was um, one or two more uh, non, you know, like former players. I, I thought Neville Clark may have been one of them. Uh, but I could be wrong on that. Uh, but I thought there was another player that was going to be a part of part of it without, you know, already graduated. I'll double, I'll double check. But anyway, so so here's here's the big. Uh, oh, Nate Evans. Yeah, there you go. Thank you, Bryson, actually uh, emailing that one over to us. So uh, Nate Evans will be there as well. So here's my question for you, uh, Drew, and we'll start with you on this one and then we'll go to Eric. What's the of these guys who are out there? Who is the most likely? How many of them do you see uh, getting their name called uh, for the NFL draft? Uh, well, I think one's a guarantee. Uh, I think Khalil Davis is a guarantee to get drafted. I think he's the the safest bet, okay. uh, just based on his on his play and everything. Granted, he's you know recovering from injury still and is at the tail end of that, but you know that that hasn't stopped other players from getting drafted. I think on the top end you may see up to four. Uh, I don't think it's, I don't think it's going to be that high, but that's kind of the pie in the sky, wishful thinking. Uh, and my four would be uh, obviously Davis, big cat, Bryant, uh, Brandon Johnson and Cole Schneider. Those are my big four. Uh, I don't mm-hmm. think they'll all get drafted though. Um, that would just be, you know, a nice surprise that you, you know, you know, like a, a Jacob Harris where just uh, the pro day just 
does wonders for his stock for their stock. But I think those are the guys. I mean, Cole Schneider, his his versatility makes him valuable, you know, like a Justin McCray. And uh Brandon Johnson, his is a very consistent receiver. And then uh Big Cat's biggest problem is he's undersized for for you know defensive end, but could be a flyer on a conversion to an outside linebacker position. Yeah, you know, Big Cat is the one who kind of intrigues me the most. Like if I'm an NFL GM, because he, he's he is such a uh, he's he is one of those guys who he was put on this earth to rush the quarterback. And when you have a guy who's that skilled and that athletic, it's like it's, it's you know somebody could take a look at him and be like, we've got to find a place for this guy somewhere, right? Um, you know, a, a, he intrigues me the most. Eric, who do you see? I'm, I'm, on the, I'm on the same page with Drew. I would say two are the more likely to get drafted. I think Kalia is definitely the guy. I think he has the most to gain in this pro day because he's got to prove if he could prove he's going to be healthy, ready to go, his draft stock goes up. I don't doesn't mean he won't get drafted if it's if he's not healthy, but I think he could stock up if he could prove he's 100 percent healthy. And I think Big Cat would be the second guy. I'm not sure that Brandon Johnson, I think he will latch on to an NFL team. Not sure if he gets drafted or not. I, receivers are, it's a kind of a, do you, do you, do you, does somebody like you or not? Who knows? Yeah, receivers uh, are kind of a dime but, a dozen. Well, that's what I right, kind of want to say, like, pie in the sky kind of view. Yeah. But I think it's Kalia. This is Kalia's day. Uh, this is his day. He's the guy that the question is, can he convince a team to maybe be a day two draft pick? A lock that up anyway. Lock up a day two draft pick somewhere early in the rounds or is he a day three guy and you know that's significant for him uh and obviously he has confidence in himself to do that and we'll find out uh on pro day at least get an idea get a sample of it i think i think on a a talent basis he's a day two but you, you may have some people wary from the injuries which could push him down and thus make him a value pick on the day in day three the uh, the big question that everyone is going to ask is what about Mackenzie Milton? Now Mackenzie um, is participating in two pro days. He was at the Florida State pro day, and obviously he's going to get another shot for the scouts at the um, at the UCF pro day. Now let's give let's give credit where credit's due. He has busted his tail to try and get himself as ready as anybody else. And and when we interviewed him, remember Eric, he gave us a pretty good sales pitch. All those guys who were in the top tier of quarterbacks, he beat them all head to head. So the question is, what's McKenzie, does someone, could you see somebody taking a flyer on him? If not, what's the most likely route? Drew, I want to start with you on this one. Uh, I don't think he's going to get drafted. I think there's too many question marks. Uh, he's going to get a tryout opportunity, though. Gar- guarantee he'll get an opportunity to to at least uh, go to one of the the invitations, you know, the invitationals that the the teams have for tryouts, and and go from there. I I just you know if he never got hurt, obviously it'd be a very different story. And granted, this is a weak draft class. 2022 is just not a strong. Oh, yeah, draft if he never class. if he never got hurt, he might he might be in his like second or third year in the NFL now anyway. Uh, yeah, yeah who, who, who knows who knows but I mean, this is not a, a strong class but even then uh you know I, I just don't see Milton getting drafted and it's unfortunate because you're right he has worked his tail off he's finally shed that that bulky brace and and did his pro day without it but I you know that's without pads you know we we saw how he did with pads this past season it, it wasn't good uh he was definitely kind of a shadow of his former self 
Uh, and, you know, I think teams are going to notice that they're not going to, you know, use the draft capital, but he's going to get a shot or at least prove it on the field in a, in a tryout situation. Eric. Well, I think it, I think this is what for him, this is about networking. So can he build a relationship with a franchise that may talk to him? I agree with Drew. I think he won't get drafted, but can he build a relationship where he gets, a, you know, get to be on a practice squad with a team, sign on, things like that. Because a lot of guys, that's the thing. I mean, you got we focus so much on who gets drafted, but there's always going to be that depth of players that will sign with a team after the draft and try to make their way that way, make a living that way, be on the practice squad. We forget about that. And that's just, just as important for these guys. Even if they don't, they're not looking to be drafted or won't be drafted, can they get impress somebody to say, all right, listen, if they're available, if they're free and available after the draft, let's call them and bring them in. And, you know, look, that even applies to a Nate Evans, who's obviously trying to get himself another look too. try to impress. This is all networking. This is how you're trying to get somebody to buy into you as far as if you're a player is concerned in this. Well, something, we- something to keep in mind is, you know, practice squad is not the, you know, the end, you know, is not a death sentence in your career. We've seen players, UCF players, who who've, who have made it into the NFL after being on the practice squad? You know, uh, McCray, as I talked about earlier, I believe Atari Bigby was a guy who who had to dance around a little bit and finally you know you know break mm-hmm. in. So I, it's it's not unprecedented for you know a player on a practice squad to find an opportunity to to get onto the active roster, and once they're there, they they hold on to the spot. But you know, it just it gives them an opportunity to at least prove it. Eric, you mentioned networking couple other options that might be out there, not just for McKenzie, but for some other guys. The USFL, although its first week starts, is actually two weeks before the NFL draft. So their rosters are pretty much set. But, you know, fairly certain that they're going to keep their feelers out there for potential guys who might go undrafted and maybe, you know, late season pickups or maybe pick developmental picks for next season, assuming there is a next season. The Canadian Football League. Uh, their season starts in their preseason actually begins at the end of end of May. Their regular season starts uh, sort of the beginning middle of June. What are the opportunities for guys for, for guys there? Right. I mean, that's plan B, right? Like I think everybody that's tr- doing pro days first goal is can I impress the NFL? If that doesn't work out, all right, what's my next option? Is it the USFL? It's going to be tough because you're during the season and things like that. You have that. I feel like they kind of screwed that up. Shouldn't they they have had that league start a little later, like after the draft? Wait, a a spring football league screwing up? No. I'm shocked. I'm shocked, I tell you. Uh, It looks depressed. I know. I'm devastated. You mean a league that's surrounded? It's, you know, in Birmingham. It's not going to work out. Shocker. Um, Birmingham is so, like the center of football for some reason that we still can't fully, uh, you know, rationalize. But it's the center of football is Birmingham, Alabama. They like their southern football there, so we're gonna get we're gonna watch any football. We love our mediocre football over there. Yeah, you know, we got a dump of a stadium. Let's go back to what we were talking about. I think the Canadian Football League makes a ton of sense. Guys in the UCF have had success there. Terrence Plummer's played there. Uh, Brandon Alexander, play, Joe, Joe Burnett, Burnett had a very successful CFL. Career. I think William the CFL. Now, I don't star no, no, there. Will Standback, yeah. The 
The tricky thing about the CFL, though, is under the current climate, there's a, the whole thing with the vaccine and you got to be vaccinated and all that stuff. So you better be vaccinated if you're an athlete, if you want to play in the CFL. The NBA players are finding that not, out right now as they're getting to the playoffs. Anyway. Well, that's not, kind of political there. Not, they don't just no, let you in. It's really not. It's really not. Just get the vaccine. Anyway, carry on. All right. Well, yes, but my point is that's something they have to take care of, and who knows? Uh, so... But otherwise, I think those are options um, in that regard. And so we'll see. We'll see. But I think their first goal, they're not thinking about that right now. They're thinking about the NFL. And look, if the XFL gets going, you never know. It could be You could be talking to somebody at Pro Day that a year from now or two could be working in the XFL, could be working in the USFL, could be working in the CFL, could be working in another spring football league that will get launched, I'm sure. Maybe it'll be, you know, whatever. You never know who you talk to and impress that could lead you to a future opportunity. And that's what Pro Day's about. All right, well, last question. La- oh, there's, go ahead, Drew. There's also arena ball in there. There's indoor football. Right. It's still around. That's what I'm saying. Right. It's become regionalized as opposed to the old national sure. AFL, but it's still it's still alive and kicking. Right. So let me ask you guys before we wrap up on Pro Day here. Um, give me a name who is going to be this year's like Brashad Paraman. Like, you know, like remember when Brashad ran that 40? And that made some, and that made some national waves. Um, who's going to be? Who's your pick for a guy who's going to have himself a day, and people are going to be like, "Whoa, his stock just went up." Ooh, that, that's a tough one. Um, because in this this class, really, who are we sleeping have... on, Drew? Who are we sleeping on? Who are we sleeping on? Um, I mean, I kind of nudged him before, but I, I think we're sleeping on Brandon Johnson. Uh, it's a, you know, he had a leadership role and, and really rose up in an offense that struggled badly. I don't think we realize how, how much the offense struggled, uh, after the quarterback change early in the year, uh, he still ended up with over 500 yards and 11 touchdowns. I mean, that sure hands in, 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 Mm -hmm. you know, going into the end zone is, is a big deal. So he was a uh, touchdown machine last year. He he was, he was, I mean, you know, you look at his stats, he had, one touchdown in his time in Tennessee, which was spanning five seasons, and then had 11 at UCF. Obviously, something changed. He, uh, you know, he was a team leader in, rece- in, re- in yards in 2017 for a Tennessee team that wasn't very good. But, you know, that I, I think he has the potential to surprise us. Yeah, not to mention the fact that, uh, you know, he, he did that with a true freshman quarterback. You yeah, know, it's a, it was a tough yeah. situation, and uh, and you know, still was just leadership opportunities there to to help you know help that offense. Uh, I think I think he he may turn some heads. Eric, who are you looking at? I think this this is all about it, always these pro days. There's always one guy that that's focused on, and I think Kalia Davis could make the national headlines. Hey, he's ahead of schedule. Wow, he's healthier. Really. That will get the buzz going on the draft boards. That'll get Todd McShay and all the draft Knicks talking. Or he won't be ready to go. People are like, oh, yeah, he's not still over there. I think he gets to make big boomer bust there for him. He's the one that could make noise. I think everybody else, you know, it's like, all right, that's nice. We'll see if they can do it again at the Combine or whatever. But I think Kalia Davis, I think all eyes are on Kalia Davis this Friday. I think he has... Not that he has the most to lose, because at the end of the day, they're going to be on shirts and stuff. And if they do this correctly, you're supposed to look good at Pro Day. Uh, but I think the big question is, we're going to know after Friday, hey, Kalia Davis is healthy. He's ready to go. Or, yeah, I don't know. He's still not all the way back. I think that's the big question for Friday. 
Well, I think the eyes are going to be on him no matter what, uh, you know, whether is he or isn't he. Uh, I think I think he's already the highest profile uh, player that that has a realistic chance. We obviously Mackenzie Milton, people talk about him, but, uh, you know, from a realistic standpoint, I think Khalil Davis is the guy Agreed, walking right. into this already. So regardless of whether he play, he, he, he does the drills or doesn't, he's still the guy that, that everyone's already going to be focusing on. I got, I got my guy, Cole Schneider. He was my second guy. He's, uh, you know, I mean, he's a guy who played five years, right? Uh, started at offensive guard for his last four years. Uh, has NFL size at 6'4", 315. If he can show the athleticism, he might be he might be one of the top guards taken in the draft. I think we're I think we're sleeping on Cole here. A little bit. I think it's a bit um, of a and, stretch and to off- call him the top one of the top. I think it's a bit of a stretch on that, but uh, he he definitely can be serviceable. I, I think one of the other things that's a little a little underrated about him is the fact that he's been a a steadfast presence on the offensive line under two dramatically different systems, with an air raid pass first offense and then Gus's kind of run first, um, you know, you know, run pass option type of deal. I think that's. That's an under. That's an underrated quality, and scouts love a guy who comes in is and is like a man. Like you know, he's you, you don't have to do much to develop him. You just have to work with him. I think he fits the bill. Not only I that, want him on my Giants is what I'm trying to say. Not only that, Jeff, but he has game experience playing other positions. Yeah, uh, that versatility. Played center a little bit, value. right? It had there's value in, in versatility. Especially well, I think he's he he's going to be in an NFL roster. The question is, oh, yeah. does he do enough to get drafted, or is he going to be a free agent? That's the question. I, I think he could squeeze in as a day three. I, I think I think he's a day three pick, uh, and I think he he could surprise some people. Uh, but I, I don't think he's going to you know really really move the the bars against other linemen. Giants, go get him. Come on. You no, know, you've kind of cursed yourself to not get him now. Joe Shane, do it. You know, you know you you know you want to. All right. Uh Pro Day Friday, uh April the first. <laughs> April Fool's Day. Oh my god. Yeah, that was not um, the day I wanted it. I was like the yeah, jokes not ideal. themselves. Uh it's uh But this won't be a joke. It'll be on ESPN Plus. Mark ESPN Daniels, Plus. Gary Paris, and Rini Angolia will yeah, be he's on the He's gonna on be the... there uh, yeah. talking about guys. Yeah. Uh it will be they're going to do the indoor stuff at 1 p.m. and then the outdoor stuff in the field house. Uh, live coverage on ESPN Plus begins at 1.30 p.m. So, Woo! Drew, I know you've got it locked in, Drew. I'll have it running. Look at that. One of the yep. benefits of having two monitors in your office. <laughs> I got I got two, I got two I got two TVs. I got my side monitor here and I got the computer. So I got a lot of stuff that I can play. All right. I mean, I could put stuff over over here. I just yeah, I just never did. Yeah, you're just get it together, Drew. Come on. Uh Statboy Drew I'm a mess. on t- <laughs> Yeah. Statboy Drew on Twitter if you want to uh yell at him for various things. Um thanks again, Drew. We'll be we'll be monitoring Pro Day and uh, Kyle will be there in person if i'm not mistaken we and possibly he's camping out right now yeah he's he's already got camping out he's already got you know a cooler and a tent and sleeping bag he's ready to go he's he's waiting it out if if which is impressive because he's so far away well it's impressive he's doing that yeah he's doing all that while wearing a suit that's the most impressive thing yeah yeah he he wears a tie to everything so all right (laughs) we come back 
he'll get the chance to defend himself here as we talk about UCF women's <laughs> basketball. He, he he wears that as a badge of honor and pride, uh, and the, how he uh, dresses up. He, he's coach, proud of that. Coach Abe obviously going to Georgia. We'll talk about uh, what pulled her and her entire staff out of UCF, and where and who else is leaving the program, and where UCF decides to go from here with what will be a completely overhauled coaching staff in 2022. The uh, Terry Mohajer's job uh, just got a little bit more difficult. So we'll see what's ahead of him when we return. This is the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast, and we're back after this. Welcome back to the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Jeff Sharon and Eric Lopez with you. Joining us now, Kyle Nash, because we have to talk about UCF <laughs> women's basketball and... Oh my gosh, are we going to have a head coach? Um, the, the big, the big issue right now, uh, of course, it is, uh, it is officially. In case you haven't heard yet, uh, Coach Abe is at is has moved on to Athens, the University of Georgia. Earlier this week, it became official. Um, she takes over a program that she played for uh, for two years at the start of her college career before she transferred to. Uh, Iowa to finish her college career. She played um, for Andy Landers, legendary coach Andy Landers, and takes over a Georgia program that uh, saw their head coach leave for another school in conference uh, and and pulled Coach Abe from uh, UCF to take over the program at Stegman Coliseum. So not only that, but we found out during the Georgia press conference that not only has Coach Abe left for Georgia, but she's taken all of her assistants. Tony mm-hmm. Bellario is gone. Issa Kanuzamari is gone. Nikisha Sales is gone. Uh, and now everybody's leaving. Mah- everybody's, everybody's going everybody's with Abe. It is. Uh, listen, uh, I know. I know Will Smith, e- Ebony, Ebony Henry Harris, uh, also who is the video coordinator. She's gone and taken an assistant coach job up. At, Kyle, up is there something you want to tell us, Kyle? Is there an announcement Everyone. you want to tell us here? Are you moving to Athens, Kyle? Under further consideration, I have found myself. <laughs> no, gentlemen, having, I'm not having covered the University of Georgia for two years of my life in Athens, I can tell you, I'd much rather be in Orlando. But <laughs> then again, I'm not getting paid as much. So uh, <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting paid a lot more to be in Orlando than I am in Athens, but which is the opposite of Coach Abe. She's getting paid a lot of money by the University of Georgia, and so are all of her assistants. But anyway, that takes us to the question at hand. Terry Mohajer, ball's in his court now. What do you do? Uh, no holdovers, so this is a total overhaul of your staff. Um, we have, I have an article up on black and gold banneret right now, six potential candidates for UCF women's basketball head coaching. Let me go through them real quick. We, and we just actually just found out this, this week after we published that a couple other names have popped into the, have popped in. These are just purely speculative, but, uh, Carla Barubi, Princeton head coach, former UConn player, uh, coached two years in the Ivy league. Remember they had, they didn't play in the COVID year. One coach of the year, both times. She's never lost a game in conference play. At, at Princeton, she's 48-5. and 48-5, one of the best defensive coaches in the country. Don Plitzewite of uh, South Dakota. This was a uh, Bryson Turner special here. Uh, Plitzewite, um, who's, you look at her resume, looks almost like a carbon copy of Coach Abe's coming from South Dakota. Uh, started at South Dakota the same year that Coach Abe did. 
won 20 games every year but the COVID year, just like Coach Abe did. Won, uh, went to two NITs and three NCAAs, just like Coach Abe did. Uh, she won a Division II National Championship at Grand Valley State back in 2006. She knows what she's doing. Uh, one name that always pops up, but I don't think anybody's going to be able to pull him out of there, Carl Smesco, Florida Gulf Coast. This guy's resume is ridiculous. Uh, he's, he's the first and only head coach FGCU has ever had. They've won the, the A-Sun regular season 11 times and the tournament 10 times in his 13 seasons. Uh, his record, his career record at FGCU, this is unreal, 518 wins, 97 losses. That's over 82%. Um, but... He's had numerous Power 5 offers over the years, and he's turned them all down. So I don't know what UCF thinks. Definitely worth the phone call, but I don't think you can pry him out of there. Holly Warlick, former Tennessee head coach. He took over for Pat Summit. She was Pat, one of Pat's lead assistants. Um, uh, and uh, went 172-67 and 67 as a head coach uh, before Phil Fulmer unceremoniously fired her. Um, but definitely another option. Uh, we threw in Carolyn Peck, who has Central Florida ties, coached the Orlando Miracle, coached at Florida, won a national title at Purdue. Uh, one of her players at the Orlando Miracle, interestingly enough, Nikisha Sales. Hmm. Um, uh, and then uh, we also threw in Lynn Bria, who coached at UCF, uh, was, the previous, was the last UCF women's basketball head coach to win a double conference regular season and tournament back in 1999 when UCF was in the then the TAC now the A-Sun uh she is she's been at Stetson now for uh, 13 years and is actually there has become their all-time winningest head coach um who knows there's a lot of options out there there's no shortage of people who are interested in this job including two more Eric Lopez that we just recently uh that we just recently that you've just recently heard about yeah, I mean the new two new names that uh, people are making the rounds, the the coaching circle, if you will, as they like to say. Uh, Susie Gardner, I believe, is her name, the head coach at Mercer, mm-hmm. who has ties to Abe. I think they were teammates at one point through during their basketball careers. Uh, has had success at Mercer at, in the state of Georgia, Jeffrey. You might mm-hmm. be familiar there. Uh, they've had good success. I'm a little there too familiar with Mercer, had them having been in UCF's conference all those years ago. <laughs> How many years ago was that? Actually, uh, two thousand. They they've been in the A Sun. Uh, well, they were in the A Sun when we left, so two thousand five. Right. They had a road game against them this year too. Did they not? I don't remember. I have to pull it up on the schedule. But yeah, I, so, I know we played. I know we played Mercer fairly recently. But go ahead, Eric. Well, the other name has been kind of been floated out there is Shonda Rigby, the head coach at Troy. And this kind of makes sense. I, I think if you're Terry, I think you're going after a head coach with experience as a head coach because you're about to move to the Big 12. I'm not sure that they're interested necessarily in going with somebody with no head coaching experience when you're making this big of a move. I mean, think about the Gus Malzahn hire, and I think a big selling pitch there was you have a head coach with experience coaching in the Power Five. So it's a home run deal. Now, what does he do here in women's basketball? It's a little, little different. And what can you know what will draw him to get a coach over here and is there you know there's a lot of questions he's going to have to answer as far as the women's basketball program is moving forward and that's it'll be interesting to see what they end up with but those are two of the uh, names that have been floated this week Susie Gardner um has worked Mercer 
in the Southern Conference. It's taken her a while, but she's finally got them toward the top of that league. I like Rigby's resume. Really interesting. Um, over at Troy, she took over in 2012 and built that program. They went from seven wins to 12 to 20, 20, 22, 18, 22, 25, 22. Consistent, right? Uh, by the way, and and Kyle, you you were right. We did play at Mercer in Macon on back on December the 12th. Um, and uh, now... The other thing that would be pretty interesting with um, with uh, with Rigby, she's more of an offensive coach. Uh, Bryson, you brought this up. She uh, Troy had the sixth best scoring offense in the country last season. So quite a shift from the def- She would be quite a shift from the defensive oriented coach Abe team that we've seen the last six years to a more offensive minded team, but. I, you know, if that's the direction you want to go, hey, go for it. It's there, the bottom line is there's a lot of interest for this job, and now the question becomes, who's the right person? What do you pay it? Eric, well, I want to go. Oh, go ahead, Kyle. Sorry. Yeah. So you mentioned the right person too. A couple things I want to I want to lay out too for clarity for anybody shouting about. Well, it's going to be the person that does defense mo- most. Please keep in mind, confirmed WNBA uh, draftees. Tay Sanders, Masani Kaba. I mean, we already knew they were gone, but like um, we they're can... in the pool for the WNBA draft. Yeah, correct. And then now, um, of course, with Brittany Buckets, aka Brittany Smith, um, in the fold there too. A lot of that powerful element that was central to the successful post play being out of that piece. All you have now is Destiny Thomas, and and really, I think for my money, there's no way you can predict this in the free agency world, as Eric Lopez calls uh, calls it, but. The, the part where Timo is in real trouble is your decision should probably be ba- made based on diamond battles and what she's going to do, but we still don't know that yet necessarily. Yeah, Brit- uh, Brittany Smith, like you mentioned, did announce that she's turned. Now, she did walk on senior day, and she's also, we found out earlier today, um, she graduated. She graduates um, this this semester with uh, with her degree from the College of Health and Health, Health Sciences. They actually, yeah. they actually did a really nice tweet for her. Did you see that? That was I did. Cool. Well, no, well that was beautiful. Yes. And I love hearing about capable human beings joining the nursing pool. Pardon my bias as my mom being a 40 plus year nurse herself. But yeah, from talking to the people around the program, like I was, nobody knew what she was going to do. Maybe she'll come back. Maybe she'll obviously maybe she'll transfer always on the table. Maybe she'll just decide to become a nurse. Maybe she's, maybe she's done. Maybe yeah, right. But and it, here's the smart thing. The smart thing that she did was she entered the portal because that gives her all the options. You know, right. it's not like the old days. Under the old days, pre-portal, she would have been screwed. <laughs> like she would have had this. Like, oh, okay, I gotta see what this coach is about, and if I decide to leave, I may have to set out a year, or maybe I just have to quit. She has all her options. She could go somewhere else and play, <clears throat> maybe in Athens, uh, or never do you mean? I don't. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> How I don't dare know why. you? How I don't know why you? they would go there. Or she could just go into nursing. She has all her options. This is a good move for her. She's got to think about herself. It's a sure. smart move. And anybody that's like got a problem with that needs to check themselves because if a coach can leave, a player has a right to leave, in my opinion. If a coach leaves, every player has the right to leave. Oh, mobility is great. The only issue I have, Elo, is is my uh, two-year-old had a lot of fun shouting Britney Buckets at the television when she scored. Well, I can tell. I, I can tell you're taking – between that and Abe Levy, you're taking this hard. Kyle's Jeff, look heartbroken. at it. He's Kyle's looked heartbroken. like he just went on a bender. Like he is – he is. I mean, he's I'm where, so used where, to – You can't see this, folks, because this is audio. 
But uh, he's wearing a, an old ratty Mike Allstott Bucks jersey. Like the numbers yeah. are kind of like. Are kinda oh, like look at him off. picking. I'm that. not wearing. I'm not worried about that. I'm I'm worried about the hair. Normally his hair is top notch, first level, but it's all over not the place. In a here. Suit. Like, not no, in a suit. No. Like, he normally dresses in a suit for podcasting. And I wore look, um, when I heard Abe left, I was worried about Kyle. Like last week on the podcast, I said forty percent. I really met fifty fifty, but Kyle was already mad at me during that show over the UConn debate and whether they had a shot to win that game or not. I didn't want him to Will Smith me and me play the role of Chris Rock. So I, I lowered it oh my to God. 40% that she would oh leave instead of 50%. But now I could see this is, it's it's a hard, it's been a hard week for you, Kyle. And many of the fans too. I, you know, I, first of all, I appreciate all of your consideration, <laughs> sir. And, and I can assure you there will be no uh, angry entanglements in any way, shape, or fashion associated. <laughs> They're in, but no, I, I listen, man, I, I get, I get it. You know, uh, I think that, I think there's a lot of people that kind of assume um, that there may be even some sort of bad blood between Timo and coach Abe. I can't guarantee that myself. Cause I could see both sides of this argument in every way, shape, form or fashion. I mean, listen, Timo, uh, give Mohaj your credit by offering the counter that he did, which if I remember correctly, and you guys will check me on this was among the top 10 15, top 15, top, top 15, 15 in the was country. reported. Top Brandon Helwig, top according, according to Brandon Helwig, our friend from UCFSports.com, who reported that. Oh, okay, I okay, fair enough. Um, but what I can tell you is, is that doesn't sound to me like somebody who's bitter in trying to. Well, keep well look, I, I, let's let's revisit this, Kyle, because you and I were at her. Turns out, her last press conference as a UCF night head coach, ironically enough, which mm-hmm. we would have loved to talk to her, except the UConn media is a bunch of stooges and a bunch of stiffs. <laughs> Uh, uh, and are clueless about technology. But anyway, um, go go to hell, UConn. Who is in the Final Four? What a shock. But what did she say? What did she say, Kyle, in that presser? She was ticked off about where they were seated because of the RPI. They, they, they were in the top 10 in the RPI. They had a great net ranking. They got sent back to UConn. It's like, well, I didn't want to be here. Why are yeah, we playing I think it's more that than the ranking than anything else? I mean, she mentioned the ranking, sure, but but you. But I was have... part of the equation, and she said this might be the greatest team I ever have here. Yeah, she was emotional for, she, by her well, standards. She has, she that, has that in common with North Carolina State, by the way. But anyway, go ahead. So, right. I mean, they got screwed even worse. But anyway, <laughs> so so she has this emotional. I mean, for her, she snapped. Like I've known her for six years. For Correct. her. That snapping. I'm not saying that we didn't enjoy it. I'm just saying she she was ticked off. You get two days later, and this is how crazy this stuff was, Kyle. The Georgia, as Jeff mentioned at the open, the Georgia coach takes the Texas A&M job. When I was, we were recording the podcast last week. I got a text before we were recording that Georgia had singled out the the Ole Miss head coach, who used to be the Jacksonville head coach, Yolette McPhee McEwen. Old Miss musical mashed- chairs within the SEC. Right, it's just what they like. <laughs> we like to take our own. It's like she was the number one choice. <laughs> she was going to be the first choice. Old Miss matched it though. Old Miss matched it quickly. She stayed. Georgia then turned their attentions to Abe, and this is like two, three days later. And you know, you then once she got on the plane, it was pretty much a feeling complete. I mean. You're going to, again, George, the SEC has a ton of money. This is not about her salary, though. And you and I have talked about this, Kyle, off the air. Right. It's not just about the salary. Everybody focuses on the head coach's salary because that's what gets public. That's clicks and all that. But it's about the staff. It's about the resources. It's about facilities. That's everything that Georgia can offer. 
that UCF right now cannot. And that's a tough spot. That's not Terry's fault. That's just reality. UCF's in a position right now. We're trying to get out of the American to go to the Big 12. That's gonna You're going to have to cost some money. And then you don't have a ton of people donating to the university, which Terry's trying to push. And then mm-hmm. women's basketball ain't the only sport in UCF that needs facility upgrades or needs facility or this or that. Everybody needs something. It's a tough – Terry's in a tough spot that people don't realize in that regard. So I understand both sides of this. Totally, yeah. Uh, yeah you know, I, lo- I love the, the point you're making about the facilities. I think UCF moving to the Big 12 can be tantamount to countries preparing to host the Olympics or the World Cup, right? You need to upgrade facilities to, to, to uh, endure or, or function in that new surrounding. Now, the difference is the Olympics is basically kind of a one-time event, typically speaking, but this is going to be a lifetime change for the UCF, and they want to get a, a good foot in there you know, uh, early to make sure all that's built. And credit to Georgia in, in targeting Abe, not only for her success, anybody could look at the record and be like, yeah, she's pretty good. But understanding that her team and, and, and the players and her makeup are basically comparatively gutted. Not to say that there aren't good paces currently on there. Yeah, I know, pending NIL, Elo, you don't have to tell me. Uh, with Destiny Thomas, Lisha Lewis, and Diamond Battles. You know, um, but that a lot of what makes Coach A basketball um, function, um, those players that I had the biggest part to do with that, in I would argue in uh, Brittany, uh, Mossini, especially, um, as well as Tay, um, are out the door now. Yeah. Two things, um, two things too. Two quick things. Coach Abe has never been to the Sweet 16 as a head coach. I think that also, she was close this Monday. Mm-hmm. Georgia gives her more opportunities to get to the Sweet 16 and beyond. I think she realized, if I want to beat Geno, if I want to beat Dawn Staley and South Carolina, if I want to beat Kim Mulkey and LSU, I need to have what they have. I can't go into this fight with a water pistol. I'm going to go in with machine guns. You need and to Georgia provi- consistently, consistently. Well, well, not two, just two of those coaches them. you mentioned are in the same conference, but. right? But right. that's you're going against the best. And Jeff, you've tweeted about this, and we and you two have discussed this at length on this program about the men's basketball and the lack of resources and finances, budgets. That applies to women's basketball. 100%. That's a con- that's a concern going into the Big Twelve is. Will you have enough to compete in the Big 12? A lot of people assume that Abe would just flourish there right from day one. I disagree. I think that would have that was going to be a big adjustment, you know, because everybody spends money in basketball in the Big 12. And that's, you know, we'll see what happens in the future. It's hard because Terry's like, I don't have money that I can't guarantee you. I can't guarantee you anything because I don't know what I have. Well, I, I want to bring this point up because we talked about this before. I think, you know, I had a tweet a couple weeks ago that made some waves comparing UCF's funding on the men's basketball program to the rest of the American. Now, UCF is basically second or third to last in yeah. the American in men's basketball funding. Now, women's basketball, different story. All right. I looked at some data from the Department of Education from the 1920 fiscal year. UCF's. 2020. Yeah, uh, yeah, uh, spring of 2020. Right. Um, UCF's uh, budget, or I shouldn't say operating budget. I should say um, uh, expenses, money, money that flew out from the men's, from the women's basketball program, about 2.9 million dollars. Third in the American, behind Temple and SMU, who are both around 3.4, 3.5. All right. Um, 
there's a bunch of schools kind of in that two point, like 2.5 to 3.0 range. Memphis, Cincinnati, South Florida, Wichita State. So, you know, UCF is holding pretty good in terms of the American. But let's look at the Big 12 now. Yes. I was going to uh, make this point if you do it. <laughs> if uh, you do it yeah. And I wanted to, uh, let's see if I, okay. Uh, and credit to Trace Troca who asked me. I was going to look it up anyway, but $2.9 million uh, in terms of expenses is fourth from the bottom in the soon-to-be Big 12. The other three schools, the three schools behind UCF, the other newcomers, Cincinnati, Houston, BYU dead last, interestingly enough. Um, that By the way, the top teams in the, in the Big 12, there's two at the very top. Baylor at $8.3 million. Three times what UCF pays. TCU at $7 million. And then there's a gap. And then you have West Virginia at 4.3. There's there's a pretty there's a there's a group of four. West Virginia, Kansas State, Iowa State, Texas Tech, all around all a little bit over four million dollars. Then there's another gap. Kansas at 3.3, Oklahoma State at 3.3, UCF at basically 2.9. So that's now the gap, not as big as it would be in men's. But there's a gap. So it's a big gap, yeah. So how do you fill that gap? Now Terry has put forth the Mission Twelve statement. Um, you know he's he he is here to make that big push for fundraising heading into the Big Twelve. Now there was a little consternation, a little bit from what I hear about a lot of football stuff in there. Not a mention of basketball. Danny White in his remember in his big facility presentation, he put forth a new basketball center. That was not there in this particular presentation. That doesn't mean it's not there, but you know it, it, we're starting to see the rubber kind of meet the road here in terms of okay, what's how heavy is this lift going to be as we head into the Big Twelve? Eric, you were talking about the outlays that are going to happen with um, with uh, the fees of joining the Big Twelve and also leaving the American. Um, I think that the you know those are short-term expenses. I think that the big, the big thing here is going to be what are your long-term financial fundraising commitments? Because and where, where is where, it coming from? Where is it coming from? Because yeah, where is it going to come from? Because there's there's a gap. There there are gaps in all sports, but basketball is the one where where this could be a real this should be a real revenue sport for UCF. And if there's enough interest, if there's enough interest, and I think there's a big question whether there is enough interest in basketball at UCF, this is not just a UCF issue. I mean, you look at Florida State, they just got a new AD, the arguably the best women's soccer head coach in that sport, three national titles, 11 college cups just resigned abruptly, in part because the AD basically told them, we're going to double down and put all the money into football to fix it, because we're sick of losing. So sorry, you're not going to get more money. And well, so what you have that's a shocking thing. move by the way. I, I, that was a yeah, shock bombshell. In soccer terms, that's a bombshell and oh, it would it not surprise me. Don't be surprised if you see more moves at Florida State as far as the Olympic coaches leaving mm-hmm. uh moving down the road cuz there's, there's a lot of success they've had there. But the problem is a lot of the boosters, let's be honest, there's that audience and it's here at UCF too. It's like I only care about football. 
I don't care about the other sports. I don't want to spend money on women's basketball. I don't want to spend money on salt. I don't want to spend on this. I want football, 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 football. You have that. And those people are more likely to donate money than say a women's basketball person or a men's basketball person. That's the problem. That's the dilemma that Terry's in. You had it. You have to please who brings you the money. Uh, now I personally think there's a way to balance all that out, but it's not an easy job. That's and it's not easy. Well, well let, I, let, let, oh, go ahead, Kyle. I'm sorry. Just the quick point I want to make. Yeah, I think you both explained it very clearly that the lack of a explanation or or a presentation regarding basketball facilities, it could either be a bad sign for those sports or it could very simply have been a marketing decision. You know. Yeah, right. that's a good point. And here's the difference at Georgia. They may or may not care about women's basketball, but they have the money. So she's going to get no, like they're right. going to make over 100 million as a school. They they will. They, the SEC does a great job. And they don't get credit for this because people don't like them. And that's fine. But they do a good job of spreading that money to all their sports. The Big Ten makes just as much money as the SEC. They don't spread it out. And UCF is not in a position where they can maybe spread it out as much as they would like. And again, there's a debate. Is women's basketball even the most? I mean, some would argue women's basketball is the most, fourth most popular women's sport at UCF behind. Well, you, you've, no made, you, you've made the case before that, like, softball right now, in terms of women's sports nationally, is, yeah. is, is becoming the marquee women's college sport in terms of media attention, in terms of revenue, you know, and you know, say what you want about, you know, success on the basketball floor. I think that's, that's a, you know, we've seen volleyball also make a lot of headway in comparison to basketball of late. I think it's a very fair question. If you're Terry Mahajan and you're looking at the spreadsheets, where do you put your, where do you put your cards? Right. That's the dilemma. That's a great way of describing it. And every school is different. If you're at UConn, you're going to put that money on women's basketball. You're not putting it at softball, right? And you're not putting it in volleyball. But there are, you know, again, there's only so much money to go out. And softball is a red-hot sport. We'll get into that in the next segment. But it's a hot sport on TV. It's a hot sport. I mean, UCF right now is drawing great attendance. They've made revenue this year. Volleyball, you and I have been to the venue, and it's packed. And they've been drawing. Women's soccer draws, and they have the history and the tradition. Women's basketball is never drawn. It's never drawn. And I think it's hard to put so much money into that if you don't think you're going to get that money back or at least come close to that. Uh, it's nobody's fault. It's just is what it is. Not everybody's going to like every sport. Not everybody's going to follow every sport. But, you know, that's what it is. But I will say this. Credit to the fans on this regard. Uh, I think everybody appreciated Abe, and rightfully so, for the job that she did. And I think we have to acknowledge that she did an incredible job. She's a first ballot UCF Hall of Famer. She's the greatest women's basketball head coach of all time in program history. And what she did was amazing. And let's and I think a lot of people uh, I saw on social media, I think thanked her for that and appreciate it. And I think I hope that people understand why she left. And I like I, for one, will be a Georgia Bulldog fan next year. Women's basketball. I hope she does well. Uh, I think she was fantastic to me. She was fantastic to you, Jeff. She was fantastic to you, Kyle. She was fantastic. She represented the school well. And they did. What was it? Those coaches. uh, What do they call that, Jeff? The, The tour, the Knights tour they do. Where all yeah, the coaches, the, yeah, I don't know what you're talking about. Abe was always there, and she was one that would always talk to fans. And even though fans, you know, a lot of people say, "Well, I don't care about women's basketball. I don't go to games." People focus on that. But you and I have gotten feedback on the podcast. There's a lot of UCF fans that maybe don't care about women's basketball, but that doesn't mean they don't want them to do well. They want to know what's going on. 
That's why they listen. We've got a lot of feedback about that. Hey, I we appreciate you giving us updated on what's going on elsewhere. Because anybody can cover football. Everybody can get information on football. But what about what's going on with my women's basketball program? What's going on with this? And I think Abe connected with a lot of casual people mm. that I don't think anybody saw coming. And that's a credit to her. Yeah. Go ahead, Kyle. Yeah, no, I, I, I mean, first of all, I want to make sure we use the word iconic because I think uh, <laughs> I think that's been spun as appropriate. Pardon my ego. And but, you know, I'll add to this, too. Like, there's not anybody else. I don't know if this is a thing that's possible or plausible in other venues, but literally after every home game, Coach Abe got on the mic and thanked everybody for coming out. I've not seen literally anybody else do that. Yeah, I mean, we always did that. We always did that with her. She, we had a handheld mic for her every time. She always thanked the fans, thanked the players, thanked the band, thanked everything. That was her thing. Um, now, I wanted to say uh, one other thing I wanted to is, you know, I'm seeing a lot of panic mm. in the fan base about, oh, my gosh, we're going to go back to irrelevance in women's basketball right away. And I just want to caution everyone here. I don't think that it's fair to throw the baby out with the bathwater immediately on women's basketball having before the new coach has even been selected. All right. We don't know who Terry's got in the hopper. We don't know how they're going to fit at UCI. And I get it. It's, it's, it's uncharted waters here, but I mean, I'm seeing some people act like they've never, like they've never been through a major head coaching change before. I don't think it's going to be fair to the new staff, whoever that may be, to give up on them right away because it's at this point when they're going to need the most fan support. But they're also – they're stepping – it's going to be a tough situation. Oh, no doubt. It reminds reminds me a lot of when Josh Heupel came in. No matter what Josh Heupel is going to do, it's not going to be as good as what Scott Frost did. And I do wonder if some of the fan base has the similar thinking – Whoever the new head coach is, because I could see it now, a year from now. What if they lose to South Florida? Well, Coach Abe didn't lose to South Florida last year. What, what's going on here? Coach Abe did lose to South Florida right, 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 a couple right. years, though. Right, but but that's how fans are. Would you not agree with that, Kyle? I mean, no, you always think- right. Nick Saban lost to uh, uh, Louisiana, uh, Louisiana Monroe his first game in Alabama, okay? It happens to new coaches, guys. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But people always freak. I, I think people freak out. So we'll see what happens. We'll see who the new head coach is and people will move on, but it's going to be a different team. It's going to be a different team and it's going to, we probably are going to be in for a rebuild yeah. slash transitional year next year. Just is. And, and I, I, but I, but I've said this, I've said this before and you know, people get mad at me when I say things like this and I don't understand why, because it's true. And I think it's, it, and I think that when you look at the kinds of institutions that UCF wants to be, you have to have this act attitude that no one person or no coaching staff is bigger than the program yes coach Abe did some amazing things here she showed that you she showed that UCF women's basketball could be a national contender that doesn't go away because she does all right you have to as you look at look at Georgia right what do they believe in they don't believe in just you know, they didn't believe in Andy Landers or whoever else it was. They believed in the program. They believed in Georgia basketball. That Georgia basketball needs to be at this standard. All right, and that's where I hope I hope our fans make that transition mentally to thinking less about oh my god we lost the coach we're done to okay get the next person in here let's keep the train moving 
because we're UCF basketball and we should be at a particular place. And by the way, as we mentioned, part and parcel of that is the donations and getting UCF to a point where it can compete financially with the competition that it's going to face in the Big 12. Go ahead, Kyle. Jeff, I'm getting an alert here. You talk about doubt, doubting the ability to continue to be a championship program. I'm seeing an alert. Diamond Battles has entered the chat. I uh, <laughs> Listen, the longer she's still in the building, there's still a chance, too. I know it's all. I agree. Uh, I agree. But, but, but remember, like, Di- Diamond is a player. Going. Yeah. You know, Diamond is one player. Right. Even if she stays. And boy, I hope she does because I love watching. Because I know you I, just scared I, me, Kyle. I thought you were I about lo- to break some news that she was bolting. I, that's what I thought too. <laughs> I love Diamond. I love Diamond Battles. I love watching watching her play. She's just a yeah. joy to watch play. But whether she leaves or stays or whatever, remember she's only got one more year to go. Mm-hmm. So, but again, I I, let, I will defend the fans on this. It's a credit to it's. It tells mm-hmm. you how much Abe made a, a difference, and people liked her. If they didn't like her, they wouldn't care. They wouldn't care. Yeah. So that's a compliment to her. I, I don't take it. I understand why people are apprehensive because Coach Abe's don't grow on trees either. They hit the, they, you know, Danny White hit the jackpot there. We'll see what happens here. Yeah. Uh, You know, you know, from that standpoint, but it's not an easy job. This is not a, in my opinion, this is not a glamorous job like some people think. Yeah. And it's a big moment for Terry Mohajer, right? It's a moment. I think, uh, moment. you know, I it, it's... Obviously, yes, we know he hired Gus Malzahn, right? But I think that this is actually, to an ex- to in some ways, a bit of a bigger moment for him in terms of hiring coaches because more difficult one at the least. Yeah, because like you know, he kind of came in with a plan already, right? We kind of thought from right off the bat like he was going to try and chase. Gus, because he had a connection to Gus from his time at Arkansas State. Well, and football's a great job. And, There's a and lot foot, yeah, of to it's sell. A great job. So now, but what's the sales job on UCF women's basketball? Right, right, right. We don't know. So, I mean, we don't know. Now, obviously, there's some numbers that have been put out there publicly. You better believe that there are agents who are who, who you know, whoever Terry talks to are going to look at that and be like, "So, you were willing to offer this to your old head coach? Are you going to offer it this to your new head coach too?" Um, that's that. That's out there for a reason, I think. Yeah, um, but I mean, that's it's unique circumstances. You're trying to keep a coach, and I, I he's going to hire who? But you're right. but you're also right. trying to hire somebody who's going to push you into the Big Twelve. Sure. And that and and if there's one thing we know, it's like we don't want to. You know, the fans don't want to see UCF be embarrassed in any way, shape, manner, or form answering that conference. So this is a bit. This is a big hire. And by the way. There's a lot of coaches, I'm sure, out there who look at that. But we also have we're to look at re- UCF, and the first thing that they think of is they're going to the Big 12, which means I'm going to be able to win at a major level at this school. With, but it's also a challenge. It's not going it to be is. easy, and we've discussed that about men's basketball. It's the same applies to women's basketball. It is not as easy as fans think either. Like oh fans no, think it's we not. can. You know, that, again, that's but, it's a challenge. But but let, but but I'll ask you, Eric. How many coaches have we have we known who've shied away from challenges? Like really? Oh no, coaches head-to-head. always think they can fix it. But uh, if you if you ask me, if you ask me to rank all the UCF head coaching jobs of all the sports, I think basketball's at the bottom. I think it's bottom. a hard job. It's a. I really don't think Johnny Dawkins and Abe get is, should get get the credit they deserve. I don't. Oh, think I that's agree a, with that. It's a hard job compared to what they're going up against. 
resource expectation all that and it's the quality a, of the and the quality of the, the coming quality and the, of the competition and how and what they're limited on what they can and cannot do and it's nobody's fault everybody always says well why can't we just give them out no it's not that simple because we're not an sec school yet we're not we don't we're not rich we're not <laughs> Yeah, you know we got we're, we. Well, we I mean, have I've, to be I've, I've, I've thrown the number. I've thrown the numbers out there, and people don't, for some reason, are like they look at them and they don't believe in the UCF is near the bottom of the American in funding for men's basketball, and 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 I I talked earlier about how they were third in the American in women's basketball budget outlays. That's because Coach Abe fought tooth and nail her six years here exactly to get basketball. To where it needed to get women's basketball to where it needed to be, so you know what's it's hard. What it's happens hard. next? What it's, happens next? It's hard, especially when you have football as your monster sport. It's hard. It's yeah. hard to be good at both. It really is, and, and let alone three sports. Can it be done? Yeah, but you need a lot of money and a lot of resources, and we're not there yet. And that's okay. We're not there yet. Maybe down the road we will. Last word to you, Kyle. Yeah, no, you mentioned money, resource, and all that. I think the right people is the important thing, you know. Absolutely. I mentioned mentioned it earlier, like, granted, I know this is more associated with their men's program than their women's one, possibly, but the moment I heard Princeton as one of the, uh, you know, that that coach being one of the replacements for Abe, I'm like, no, she abhors (laughs) pretty ball. What are you people doing? No. And I make that joke to say, man, listen, you got to make sure that, you're trying to keep a culture in the room, right? That's the yeah, toughest yeah. thing. We can talk about resources, this, that, and the other thing. Okay. It starts first with the people and the surroundings and the belief and, and, and all that they do. Each and every one of those women were locked into basketball in a very, very special way. Yeah, yeah. All right, last, last thing I want to ask. Uh, Kyle, then Eric, wave your magic wand. Who do you want to be the new coach? You know, I, I'm I'm with the I'm with the Mercer uh, uh, head coach uh, idea. Susie Gardner. Yeah, you mentioned that former teammate. You can't do better than that. She learned the game in a similar fashion to Abe at some level, and also appreciates defense. I think that's the starting uh, uh, level for my money on 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 where you go. It, it's as close. If you're trying to keep it with the Abe tree, so to speak, um, that's a good way to do it. Now. Should Destiny Thomas transfer this time tomorrow? I might change my mind. <laughs> but, man, you're you gonna know. need a you're gonna need a therapist, man. We're gonna <laughs> don't you even joke about Desto. I will will Smith. Oh boy! Son. Oh, oh no! God. That's gonna be Stop hard. Stop it! You. I would like to not get canceled, Eric. What about you? <laughs> All right, I'm a little biased. This I don't think it'll happen. But if it was up to me. I go Limbria Stetson. Why? She's already in the state. She's already in the region. We talk about lack of resources. They don't have any in Stetson, and she still wins. And I'm thinking, man, imagine if she had UCF sources resources instead of Stetson resources. Uh, yeah, she had and, UCF and she, resources, but it was 25 years ago. <laughs> yeah, there were the resources weren't that good back then. I don't think she had an arena like they do now. And I do know for a fact she was a finalist the last time this job was open. Obviously, went to anyway with Abe, rightfully so. But you know, Lynn has supporters internally, but I don't think that will work. I think they're going to go a little younger on the coaching front, but I'm, I, I like Lynn Bree a lot. I think she has the personality. I think she has that. She knows how to win. She knows how to coach and be kind of unique. Uh, but I, I don't know if they'll go that route. I think Kyle is right. They're probably going to go somewhere like a Mercer Troy type of a head coach somewhere else uh, uh, direction there. And uh, we'll see how that goes. 
I got, I mean, I, I was the one who put together that purely 100% speculative list, so I'm a little bit biased here. But um, one, actually, one coach who was brought to my attention who would be, who was actually in the mix for Georgia, um, who I forgot to mention, Tamikia Reed at Jackson State, but I think she's going to be really hard to pull out of there mm-hmm. because of the Dion effect. Um, but I, I would love, but I would love to see you. Know, you talked about culture, Carla Baruvi, and I know you meant. I, I know you scoffed at Princeton. That ain't no pretty ball that she that she coaches up at Princeton. That oh, that yeah, team no. was sixth in the in the nation in defense. I, yeah, um, like I said, it's mostly associated with the men's side of the program. Let me be clear or, on. Or that. I should say, I should say fourth in the and I should correct myself. Fourth in the nation in defense uh, comes from the Geno family tree. Um, you know, I, you know, and of course I'm a little partial cause I remember watching her play at UConn, but, um, <laughs> but, oh, we're man, all buying there. Hey, look, lot of, hey, listen, I just want, you know I just what? want the, I, it, here's the thing. I, yeah. A lot of good options. A lot of I good just options. want the next head coach. As long as Kyle is happy and he gets his hair fixed again and he shaves, you know, I, I just want Kyle to be back to being Kyle. I'm worried about you. I I, I, I feel like you need a hug. We got to give you a hug. I know she it's been tough. You never called me by my first name, Eric. I know, I know. As Robin Williams, the late great Robin Williams said at Goodwill Hunting to Matt Damon, it's not your fault. Not your fault. Not your not fault. Your All right. We will uh, we will be all over the story once whoever UCF's new head coach is breaks whenever that may be. Eric, do you, th- you have any idea who they might, who, when when it might go? Eric, or I would think next week. By next week, I would think early right? next week. Uh some point next week. I'm not going to say early. You know, maybe next week. Let's shoot for next week. All right, it's Easter weekend, so uh, oh, uh, Bryson. Breaking Turner, news! Actually, a little breaking news. We can strike <laughs> one person off the list. Uh, Don Plitzy White from South Dakota, who is on my list, uh, just got hired at West Virginia. Still going to the Big Twelve, apparently. Big Twelve, Big Bronx, Twelve, yeah. yeah. Hey, listen, man, we're in the neighborhood. <laughs> we're in the neighborhood there, you know. Maybe we right. helped her got the job by putting her on the list. They put pressure on West Virginia to make a move. Maybe, maybe. Um, Bryce feel better, way, Kyle. Us that his choice is 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 Shonda Rigby from Troy. That's his choice. So, hey. I, and Rigby, I like Rigby's resume too. All right. Come back. Bryson's going to actually talk in the next segment. Uh, <laughs> and where we talk a little baseball, a little softball with Eric. How about softball? Eric Lopez. Top 20. Doing what they did. We need, to we need a new scoreboard, Florida. by the way. We just need just, a new scoreboard too. There, just matadoring the South Florida Bulls <laughs> and Georgina Corrick this week. So, we'll talk about that and a lot more when we return. Oh, by the way. Kyle Nash, VSOTG for the student of the game on Twitter. Make sure you follow him uh, as he goes through the seven stages of grief with the departure of Coach A. Don't get on a plane to Athens, Kyle. Whatever you do, don't get on a plane. Listen, go ahead, uh, ahead. Kyle. I've got. I know how to get around flight (laughs) tracker. Okay. Yeah. I'm not going to allow it. Don't get on that plane. (laughs) Hey, listen. My car is still full of gas. No. Um, <laughs> listen, guys, as I sit here with my gallon of ice cream tucked uh, under my arm, wiping tears from my cheeks, apparently. Watching Titanic on your television screen. Oh, right God, right no, here. there's a line, please. Uh, <laughs> there's a line, and I think you've crossed it. <laughs> as, uh, with all your respo- uh, support, and despite my jealousy for Eric and his first name basis with Coach Abe, 
<laughs> Honor, joy, and privilege. And until next time, gentlemen, class dismissed. All right, we'll be right back. This Enjoy Pro Day. Podcast. Yeah, have fun at Pro Day. We'll see you on Friday. We're back after this. <laughs> We are back here on the Black and Gold Banneret Podcast. Eric Lopez and Jeff Sharon here with you. And along with us, Bryson Turner is popping in to talk about uh, what is going on with uh, with uh, the world of UCF sports running around. We'll talk about baseball and softball. But I wanted to, I wanted to dive in and talk softball first with Eric Lopez here. Uh, as uh, man, what a weekend for UCF softball as they started conference play. This is what we were looking forward to, Eric, was UCF against USF in the uh, in Tampa, war on I-4, Georgina Corrick, the whole nine, and UCF walks into Tampa and just takes the Bulls to the woodshed. 5-2, uh, to 7-2, to 3 to nothing. Um Corrick started, I think, two of the three. Is that right? Yeah, he start, she started the Friday and the Sunday game. Friday and the Sunday got beat both times. Uh, this, but understand something, folks. This is a pitcher who had given up three earned runs all season, and UCF scored eight on her in two games. Uh, and uh, UCF gets the sweep in Tampa. That the softball team is now twenty nine and eight, and Eric, they are now very much in the conversation for potentially hosting a regional. Yeah. I mean, two things from that. They've never swept USF in softball in a series before. Uh, they accomplished that. Pretty much ending, in my opinion, USF's done as far as the regular season title is concerned because they're three back of UCF plus the tiebreaker. They're not making up four games to UCF, even if it's this early in conference play. So that's number one. That's the most important thing. You want to win a ring. UCF hasn't won a title since conference title since 2015. Number two, you mentioned the hosting thing. Um they're number 12 in the latest RPI. In fact, I just checked with my RPI source. Despite the loss to Florida on Wednesday, they're still 12. So that's good. Mm. Unfortunately, they lost to Florida to end the 18 yeah, lost game win streak. Lost in Gainesville. But Florida's ranked seventh in the country. And yeah, I mean, that's and no I think they're And they're 12th. Or they, they were, no, I'm sorry. They were 13th in the latest RPI. Yeah. And UCF was 12th. And I, I guess it's, it's basically like, battling him to a draw almost even though UCF got got beat they got lost a bad one inning again the second inning has been the bugaboo for UCF against Florida gave up six runs in the second inning dug themselves a hole they couldn't dig out of in the two games against Florida this year they were outscored 13 to 3 in the second inning you take that away they've outscored them every inning it's crazy Mm -hmm. but it is what it is they uh so they're in the mix now they've got a marquee series hosting number five Virginia Tech's not going to get easier if you think Georgina Corrick is not the best pitcher, then the, the answer might be Keely Richard of Virginia Tech, who comes in. She's an All-American. She's the second best pitcher ever at Virginia Tech behind Angela Tincher. They have a freshman pitcher that might be the best freshman pitcher in the country. They have a balanced offense that's hitting 328. I think they're a national title contender. I think they're a World Series yeah. contender in oh, Virginia so, so Tech. Does, so does the RPI, because the RPI has got Virginia Tech at third, and they're 25-3. Yep, Correct. And wow. so it's a big home series for UCF. And it's important because when the resume standpoint, and this is where teams like UCF run into, have a disadvantage against teams like the SEC, because after this weekend, UCF has no more games against the top 50 R, uh, team RPI-wise until Wichita State at the end of the regular season. Yeah. Uh, they So they need to pick up wins here because they currently have t- 10 top 50 wins, which is important. 
They need to have 10 or more wins in the top 50 to have a shot. I'll hopefully I'll get, I'll explain this more in detail as we in the coming weeks, why that is, but they need to improve, keep, keep run, pushing this resume because the Florida's of the world, because they play in the sec every weekend, they're going to play a top 50 team. So they're going to continue to increase their resume. And that's where teams like UCF have a disadvantage. So this is a big series for them from a hosting standpoint, because this in a lot of ways is their final statement, you know, from that standpoint of, Hey, you know, from a non-conference standpoint, if we beat Virginia Tech two out of three, for example, you know, that keeps them in the mix for hosting. And then obviously you got to run rough shot in the league play. Well, I, I think what you're talking about, like with regard to the RPI and how it works, I, I don't think it's so much Florida who's going to get that big of a bump from it, but it's going to be the teams that are below UCF that are going to get a bump. So you're talking right now 17 Auburn. 19 LSU, 21 Arkansas, and these are the RPI rank, 22 Georgia, uh, 27 Mississippi, then five SEC teams in a row from 27 to 31, yep. uh, Mississippi State, Ole Miss, South Carolina, Mizzou, Texas A&M. Those are the teams that are going to get a boost where UCF is kind of going to kind of be stuck playing, uh, I'm looking at the schedule It's going to be here. close. They, North yeah, Florida, uh, after Virginia Tech, all right, North Florida, Memphis, ECU, Houston, Tulsa, and then the series, and then the season-ending series with with Wichita at Wichita. So, um, so yeah, I mean that's you, you gotta you gotta front load your slate. This is why scheduling is so important. You gotta front load your schedule with all those top fifties and hope that those teams you scheduled end up being in the top fifty by the time everybody gets to conference play. And that's why a program like softball will be one of the bigger benefits, benefactors from going to the Big Twelve, because you won't have to worry about this when you get to the Big Twelve. Because you're gonna face more top fifty teams in the Big Twelve than you do in the American. I mean that's yeah. just reality on that. Uh so we'll see. Look, Gianna Mancha outpitched Cork. I thought that was big. Their offense, Kennedy Searcy is playing well. Uh you know, I actually think the Florida loss is not the end of the world. They were going to lose at some point. Sometimes you need a, a kind of a reset button there. And they got a few days to practice before they get Virginia Tech on Sunday and then Monday. And that's going to be a big series. It's a big series for them. And we'll learn a lot about them. I think a week from now, if they win that Virginia Tech series, even if they only win a game against Virginia Tech, they're going to stay in the mix to host all year. If they get swept by Virginia Tech, then now you're like, well, maybe they're not going to host. We're probably going back to Gainesville. But – Either way, remember this team has to win the league because if you don't win the league, yeah, it doesn't matter. You're, you know, you're not going to. So uh, that's the big goal, and the big thing was they swept South Florida and took out one of their main threats from the race. That's the big takeaway to me of this last uh, handful of days. Uh, Jada Cody, watch. Uh, she has 53 runs batted in, which is eight ahead of Bailey Klinger of Washington. Uh, who is in second place nationally. So Jada continues to uh, knock in runs, man. She just continues to do this. Uh, do you expect that to continue? Yes. Uh, she's 13 behind Stephanie Best's all-time record of 66. She which should Stephanie easily did pass that, you would, you would well, think, Well, right? if she stays healthy, got to stay healthy. True. Uh, but if you look at their schedule after Virginia Tech, a lot of favorable matchups as far as pitching is concerned. Uh, so she, they, they have an opportunity to produce a lot of runs. She's having a heck of a year. She's making a strong case to be the second NFCA All-American all-time in program history behind, obviously, Shelby Turner, who did it in 2015. Shelby was a top 10 national player of the year. 
I think Jadish would, it'll be interesting in a couple of weeks, they're going to announce the top 25 finalists for player of the year. I'll be curious if Jada makes that list because I think she should. Will she? We'll see. But I think she should be in that mix. But she definitely has a great shot to be an All-American at the level that she's playing if she maintains this. Just a sophomore, man. Yeah. Just Richard's a sophomore. sophomore. Yeah, boy. Boy, that's a lot of fun. Hey, All don't right, forget so, Anna Doherty. She's just a sophomore, too. We have a dynamic. Oh, right? by the way, she's doing her own part, too. I mean, she's yeah. playing. She protects her. She's right behind her. They have a great one-two punch. That's the best one-two punch offensively UCF's had maybe in program history with her and Doherty. Kind of that. Really, the, the, they're the Stephanie the, Best set, and Janation Oster would have would like a word on that. Well, I agree, they were great. But what's funny is Doherty and Cody are right now career wise second and third in a lot of the power categories behind Stephanie. It's insane what they're doing. Uh, it's and they're young; they're still young. So, yeah. uh, but the big thing is you got Kennedy Searcy hitting in front of both of them getting on base. You got Janisha Rowe getting on base. The key for this offense, though, is the bottom of the order still has to continue to produce. And if they do that, they'll be fine. Um, and then you got Mancha and Woodall pitching. It's very important to note, by the way, neither Mancha or Woodall pitched against Florida on uh, on Wednesday. So that's why I wouldn't panic over that result. From that standpoint, I think Coach Ball Malone wanted to give Grace Jewell that opportunity. Pitch somebody that Florida hasn't seen. Didn't work out. Grace didn't have did not get any help defensively behind her. There was a couple of miscues there, uh, but you know that's something that the uh, you know just happens that way. So yeah. they'll move on. We got Virginia Tech this weekend. It's a huge, huge series. Uh, it's a uh, it's it's a big, big series. I mean, there's there's no other way of underlining that. We're going to learn a lot this weekend because Virginia Tech's legit. Water under the bridge now because you know, you saw you talked about Virginia Tech doubleheader Sunday two and four. And then the third game of the series, Monday at six. You're on you're on ESPN Plus for those, Eric? That's right. Me and Francesca Anea will be on the call. We'll also have sideline reporters throughout that series. We're 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 breaking the bank. We're covering down all angles there for uh arguably the marquee series of the weekend in college softball. And I appreciate that the networks didn't pick it up. So thank you. I've I've watched listen, I've watched a lot of softball coverage for UCF, you know, both on the road, at home. Of all the sports that are out there, softball coverage on ESPN Plus for UCF. I and by the way, we do a great job on all sports. It's the best in the American, no doubt, and it's light wow. years better than a lot of Power Five schools that I've seen, no doubt. It is on ESPN and, Plus in house production. It looks it looks like a marquee ESPN game. Well, and the big thing too, softball fans from across the country, of all people adapted to espn plus the fastest they know that's the home for softball espn basically runs softball they pretty much produce softball they broadcast softball that's their baby i mean i just wrote an article on what's one of the softball sites i freelance for the arkansas lsu game on saturday night and sunday beat head-to-head the national hockey league on tnt beat the mls and beat the majority of the women's NCAA tournament first couple of rounds games and the Sweet 16 game between Texas High. It's a hot product. Uh, and the softball fans are used to streaming sports, whereas I think basketball fans, you would agree, Jeff, and football fans have had a hard time adjusting to the streaming world. It's like, why is this game stream? I, I'm used to having it on ESPNU. I'm used yeah. to ESPN2. The softball fan has been always used to having the game streamed uh, on the stream. The one thing I wish we could fix, and I don't, I'm not, it's above my head, 
because I did get emails, uh, messages about this on, during the Florida game. The Florida game was on SEC Network Plus. A lot of people try to log in, like if they were going ESPN Plus to get SEC Network Plus. That doesn't work. You need a cable subscription to have SEC Network Plus. Or, I don't know, do, I don't think they, yeah, that's not available. How Jeff, you know more about the, the internet side of things. How do you get SEC Network Plus? I don't know if you can get it if you don't have a cable subscription, if you have uh, for well, SEC I, Network I, it, Plus. It also you? depends on, it, it depends on the... Uh, cable subscription that you have it varies from carrier to carrier right. so right some uh, you know it, it, you know if you have hulu tv like if you're like me a cord cutter you got something like hulu tv plus or you have youtube tv you may have to subscribe to the sports tier and then you get sec network plus but if you're a normal s- subscriber to spectrum that may also have to be the case they may also just not carry, not enable you to carry it at, not enable to carry it at all. If you're like not in an SEC market, now Orlando is an SEC market, but I, I'm not familiar with what Spectrum Spectrum has. But well, we, I have it. It's, it's I have a little, Spectrum. it's a little bit more. Oh, you ha- you do have it. Okay, I so do have it, but you can't, yeah. you can't subscribe, you can't log into the same login that you would use for ESPN Plus because ESPN Plus is exclusively right. ESPN, you, you and just, I think some people still view it to, yeah. through ESPN Plus. You view it through watch espn which is still a thing right exactly and i think that's still confusing for a lot of the customers so i think that i I wish wish that i uh, wish espn would streamline that they they, they should streamline that yes so i think that's Uh, a fair credit i think that's fair all right uh thank you for tuning in everybody yes sunday and sunday doubleheader 2 p.m monday 6 p.m number five virginia tech be there ucf softball all right over to base 20 showdown uh, Here we go. Baseball. Let's get Bryson up in here because, uh, uh, well, he's hey, been soul searching while we've been talking softball. Bryce has been yeah, soul searching. We, we will hey, talk about that. Majority. Right now, they're at uh, right now. UCF is at fifteen and ten as they begin conference play this weekend uh, at home against South Florida. Uh, last weekend, another uh, difficult weekend for UCF baseball. Uh, Lost uh, or two out of three to Samford, including one in ten innings. Both the games they lost, they lost by one run. Uh, before they run ruled Samford on Sunday to salvage one out of the three, eleven to one. Um, pulled it together though Tuesday night at home against FAU for a thirteen to one victory over the Owls. Um, so two and two this week again, kind of treading water a little bit at fifteen and ten. Feels like they left a couple on the board against Samford though uh bryson what was your what were your big takeaways from the weekend well uh i i i think greg lovelady really said it best the team just i think the team just went through the ringer in these i mean in in the first two games against Stanford. when you lose by one run in different in completely different circumstances and you easily could have prevented it it's going to really eat at you a little bit. Look, look, if you just look at the, this. So fr- on Friday's game, the offense ended up coming, ended up coming up to bite him again. We've talked before about how the offense has just not gotten to a good start as a total unit. And they showed that again against San against Sanford. You know, they get, they went 10 innings. They just couldn't get any more run, get, get any more runs. And, Sanford was able to come back with a two run home run in the eighth to tie the game. So that, and so there, that, that ended up happening. The, luckily the bats did get better for the game against Saturday 
The only problem is that then the pitching ended up giving out at the wrong times. Sanford ended up getting three runs in the first. UCF was able to fight their way back, tie the game in the fourth inning. And then Sanford went and got three runs again in the fifth inning. With, in the fifth inning. So then they had to basically drudge their way back up again to get it within one run in the eighth. And then Sanford got another, got an RBI double and got another run to go up to. So that, that one was just like, it was just kind of a one step forward, two steps back sort of game. And one pitch just kind of could end up changing every, everything in that one. It was after that game that Greg Lovely, that Greg Lovely made this comment. You know, we got, we got a lot of soul searching to do a lot of, uh, you know, just, just uh, figuring out, you know, what kind of team we want to be. You know, we, we the last couple of weeks, we just have gone away from our, our plan that we've had since August um, that, you know, obviously we have done a really good job of, of preparing and putting ourselves in, in good situation. Um, you know, and again, there were, there were some tough losses early in the year, but, you know, just really, really we're executing what, I, what we all have been working on, what, you know, really the players had laid down and what they wanted to do. And we've gotten away from that, um, and that's on me. That's that's my fault. Um, I've allowed it, and you know we're ju- we're just you know we scuffled. Obviously the injuries, um, and um, you know I, th- I think that we've just kind of you know maybe hit the panic button a little bit, um, and just gotten away from what has made us really really good. Um, and this isn't the team that uh, we were three weeks ago. This isn't the team that I know we can be, uh, and you know we just gotta we gotta figure out a way to get back to where we are where we were uh, because uh, we're way better than what we played um, and uh, you know, we just got to be tougher we got to come out tomorrow and, and really change uh, change the trajectory of the season uh, tomorrow's gonna be a big game and it's not about winning and losing but just about how we play and, and the energy that we bring and, and the belief that we have uh, to knowing that we're way better than this and that was Greg Lovelady after Saturday's law, Saturday's seven to six loss to Sanford. You can see the full interview along with plenty of other interviews on the Black and Gold Banner at YouTube channel and subscribe for the latest. So, yeah, as you can see, the, Greg, as Greg Lovely said, this team wasn't what it was at the start of the season. I mean, when you look back there, the offense was good. The offense was hopping. The, the pitching was off to a good start. And some of that does have to do with injury injuries. One of the things that um, not mentioned in the clip, but is it, but is in, in another interview with love lady on the banner at YouTube channel after FAU, he talked about how, um, that how, you know, Connor Stain is working his way back. We should, uh, his way back. We could, we should definitely be seeing him against USF. Uh, David Litchfield is working is working out so he we could see him we know that Hunter Pattison will not pitch we know that for sure he will not pitch against USF which is why he started William Saxton against FAU for two innings so I think we could possibly see him so um, so the point there is that the the injuries have really hit this team hard hard again unfortunately it's just more on the I think it's it's both on the pitching and the batting side this uh, batting side this time luckily they were able to put it together like uh, they did, were able to turn it around they got the win again uh, on sunday the issue with that that i have that i have though is that they run ruled samford but they got eight runs in the last I- in the last inning and a lot of them came off of bases loaded walks 
and hit by pitches with the bases loaded. That that win to me, at least by how the big a deficit as it is, at least, is not because the team maybe turned it around. It's because Sanford just imploded. And, and I mean, it's a win's a win. I think that obviously the morale boost is great. And there were some people that were still getting good hits. No Orlando and Andrew, Andrew Sundin. I mean, they have been revelations on this team offensively. Noah and Andrew have done very, very well offensively to fill in for Nick Romano and Riley Wash. But unfortunately, you need more often. You need more offense. And luckily, I think they showed that a little bit against FAU. The big thing is, is can they sustain that against USF, who has has some of the better individual uh, st- individual players in the in the conference statistically? You have Jack Desaic and Orion Kirkering Kirkering in the pitching. You have Drew Butcher, who ha- who's batting three seventy, top five in the league. So. I think that the big test right now is going up against this USF team that remember did, did steal the conference championship away last season. Yeah. So a little bit of revenge there for these three games against South Florida to start the conference season. South Florida's won six in a row coming in, um, including uh, they won two out of three against Mercer. Who's receiving votes in the top 25. Uh, This is a pretty good hitting uh, South Florida team. They're hitting 283 on the year. They scored 192 runs. That's 30. That's top 30 in the country or 32nd in the country. I should say. Uh, And you mentioned their, their two key pitchers. Uh, Orion Kirkering is scheduled to go on Friday. Um, Game two. They don't know yet. Uh, Brad Lord scheduled to go on, uh, on uh, Sunday. So, uh, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, April 1, 2, and 3, 6, 6, and 1 p.m. respectively on ESPN Plus for South Florida, who comes in 18 and 7 on the year as we start uh, conference play. So this Wide is a, open uh, league. Wide yeah, open league. This wide year. open. Everybody's down. This has been a bizarre year, Jeffrey. You've covered the league for a long time. I've covered it. This is the weakest that the American has been in baseball in a long time. They're, you realize they're rated, they're ranked ninth as a conference in the RPI. This is a league that's used to being in the top five. They're going to have to fight to get a, be a multi-bid league this year. Uh, It's really bizarre. Everybody's just not done great in non-conference for various reasons. So the good news for UCF in that regard is there's not that East Carolina team from the past. That's like, man, this is their league. ECU this year, the preseason favorite 14 and 12 overall. Yeah. It's been a really strange year. I don't think anybody has any idea what to expect in the American this year. I think this is the most unpredictable year for the league in baseball. You could tell me I, I it's wide open. And so if you're UCF, if you could just get healthy, if you could get Patterson back and healthy with Connor Stain, anybody can win this, this league. You yes. can win this league. It, it may very well, Eric, come down to that last series. UCF is home against Cincinnati for that last series. It's wide open. It's, it's going to be crazy. Open. Absolutely crazy. So, uh, again, those three games will be on ESPN plus UCF and USF to kick off the conference season uh, in the American. They have a midweek this week. They yeah, do. Florida, Florida Atlantic uh, at in Boca Raton on Tuesday. So, uh, another game to uh, keep an eye on before UCF goes on a – that's the first of a five-game road trip, by the way, too. UCF goes Big, to Memphis important. next weekend. Important to get off to a good start in league play. Don't dig yourself yeah. a hole. This USF series is huge. I think the winner of this series got to feel pretty good about being in the is in the mix to uh, to be a conference title contender. And if you're UCF, you got to get off to a good start. But yeah. the question is, can the bodies, can they get healthy in time to click 
We'll see. This team has historically in the past played their best baseball at the end. Yeah. Hopefully they can get an example of that. Right. Kind of like a a football example. You don't want to get behind the chains in conference play. You know, if you can get the the key is always going to be two out of three. You get two out of three, you should be in good shape going forward. Any sweeps you get, your bonus, but you don't want to lose. You don't want to. You don't want to drop two out of three at home for sure. Um, track and field. Florida relays are coming up this weekend. Bryson, uh, we saw Renaya Jones take to the track for the first time in the outdoor season this week. What were the uh, what were the what were the uh, takeaways that you had from the? Uh, most recent meet for UCF, the uh, Knights invite this past weekend. Well, Renaya Jones obviously is do- is doing Renaya Jones things. She managed to, uh, at the time, she tied the national record with her 13.08 time in the 100 meter hurdles. Like it was the top time in the country at the time. Since then, she's fallen back down. It's still 11th, which is great. Absolutely great. And a great starting time for for this season but she did well there she also has the 11th fastest time in the 100 meter dash and if you go on the black and gold Bennard youtube channel you can see the interview that uh the, the press conference that she did with the media after the night's invite where she talked about how she wanted to be a better sprinter this season so i think that if that for her wanting to do that that start in the 100 meter dash is certainly a good sign to do that and she said she's going to run the 200 meter dash at the florida at the florida relays elsewhere uh, Dana Boone said that that uh, someone that may go under the radar to keep an eye on Kaya Williams. She ran she ran the 17 fastest 400 400 meters in the country in the during the black and gold in, in black and gold invite. Uh, we also have uh, we also then we also have Adrian Adams. She mm-hmm. managed to break the disc uh, the discus throw record in uh, the discus throw record that has stood since 2010. Yeah, LaKendra Thames, who I, I covered LaKendra when, she, uh, you know, when I was there. It, LaKendra is one of, honest to God, shout out to LaKendra. I don't know if she listens. I hope she does. One of my favorite athletes who I ever covered, the, the, the throw athletes and the field athletes that I covered at UCF at that time. Um, they, uh, Jessica Francis, uh, LaKendra, um, uh, April Downey, I I had a blast covering them. They were so much fun, and uh, it makes me it, it makes me happy to see LaKendra be recognized. It makes me sad that her record fell, but hey, congrats to Adrian Adams. Uh, job well done. Oh she yes, won I, the, uh, field athlete of the week too, right? Yes, she was. She was field athlete of the week for the American Athletic Conference. And look, for how much we've been loving on like the track side of this, because I mean, you have Renaya Jones, you have Brittany. You know, you have you have Latasha Smith, you have Kaya Williams that I just talked about. You have a lot of people that, that you know this track team has produced that are just doing amazing. But the field athletes can go a little underappreciated. I think Adrian Adams really shows what those field athletes like them, Jasmine Scott Kilgo, Ashira Collins, like they are very capable, very capable as well, and are definitely worth watching. Elsewhere, uh, Beyonce DeFreitas managed to take the win in the two in the two hundred meter dash. Uh, Natalia Madison and Kalia Jones were on the podium for the high jump. I think what was a really big highlight, honestly, is that the UCF actually swept the podium in the 100 meter dash. We're not with Renaya Jones taking the win, but then I, Asia Wilson and Danielle Bess also getting also getting on the podium as well. Charlotte Crook got second in the 800 800 meters, and you, of course, you also have the Knights taking the win in the four by 100 meter 
relay. So um, that's uh, obviously not all of it, but I, I wish I could talk about all of it, but we don't really have the time to do that. Yeah. So if you want to see the results of all of it, head out, head over to the UCF athletics website where they have the recaps of all, of all of the finishing order. And you'll be able to see some of this team again, when they take those to the Florida relays on April, I believe first through the second, if I'm not mistaken. Yes. And speaking of sec network plus, we were talking, you guys were talking about that in the last segment, they're going to be streamed on SEC, on sec network plus as well. Great. So we cannot see that as well. A fantastic job ESPN. Um, all right, I want to go. <laughs> I want to uh, talk real quick about uh, tennis here. Uh, well, we get the opportunity. Men's tennis struggling. They're down to six and twelve, and yet they're ranked fifty fourth in the country, which is a function of that schedule. Um, the women. Uh, I'm looking at the uh, women's rankings right here. These rankings just came up from the ITA on uh, on the thirtieth yesterday. We're recording this on Thursday, the thirty first. Um, UCF. In very good position there at 12 and 6. They're in 18th in the country. So um, we're approaching that conference phase of the schedule. The men lost to number 38 SMU uh, 4 to 3 at home. They've got three roadies coming up, uh, including Sunday at Tulane, New Orleans. So it's going to be tough. But um, Trey Hildebrand and Bogdan Pavel continue to uh, perform well uh, in the uh, in the double circuit. Uh, meanwhile, for uh, the UCF women, um, they uh, swept uh, FAU on Sunday, number 66, FAU 4 nothing, uh, and beat Yale 4-1. to So they had uh, for three conference matches in a row, um, but they get a week off, basically, before they face SMU in Dallas next Friday, April the 8th. Uh, so they got some time to rest up before this uh, sort of sprint through three conference road matches and then the AAC tournament uh, on April 21st starts for them. So there's also congrats to Nandini Sharma. She was named the AA name player of the week for the AAC this for this weekend. All right. So I'll pretty much do it here. We've got uh, what else we got? All right. So Eric softball against Virginia tech. That's the big one. We got baseball against South Florida. Uh, We got pro day on Friday. uh, And, Hopefully, a women's basketball coach sometime uh, in the intervening uh, in the intervening time here. This is going to get to be a bit pretty busy week, no? I do, and hopefully Kyle will, will you know, he'll feel better. He'll feel better once uh, we get there. It'll be all right. I know. It'll be all right. Our shout, our shout out to Kyle. It's been a rough week for Kyle Nash, but uh, <laughs> we appreciate him as always. All right, that'll do it for us here on the Black and Gold Banneret. Follow us at UCF Banneret underscore SBN. If you don't already, follow us each individually. Jeff underscore Sharon, Eric Lopez, Elo. It's Bryson Turner. Andrew is at Stat Boy Drew. And of course, Kyle is at the SOTG for the student of the game. You can also follow us on Facebook, facebook.com slash black and gold banneret. If you don't subscribe to this podcast, please do. We are on Apple and Android devices. If you do, we appreciate you very much. Send us a rating. Let us know how we're doing. For all of us here at Black and Gold Banneret, I'm Jeff Sharon saying thank you for listening. We will catch you 